Welcome, everyone, to the Energy Advisors podcast. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in today. Fabulous uh, program we got today. Great interview. But I wanted to check in and remind you, if you missed the last episode, the last episode just released uh, late earlier, and that is the update from the state of Colorado announcing their new tax incentives on heat pumps. So take a look at that previous episode if you don't, uh, if you didn't catch it. You know, we get busy, things get crazy. We don't always have a chance to do that. So um, great interview today, great guests. I'm really excited about uh, this interview today, talking with uh, Mike Kruger from um, COSA, and we'll talk about that and all those good things. But before we get started, I always want to thank our partners uh, in the show, uh, our good friends over at Sa um, Valor Solar. You know, solar is an interesting industry and integrity matters. So when you go through the whole process, when you're evaluating it, you know, there's education process, there's the uh, implementation and maintenance, integrity matters. And that's the, the one of the things that's a shining star from Valor, uh, one of the top rated, uh, not only in Colorado, but in the region. They serve Colorado, Arizona, Utah, and Nevada, and Idaho. So if you're, you're in those regions and you're interested in solar, it's really easy. Just go to the website, energyadvisors.today, fill out the form, and we'll get you connected with them, and uh, you'll love working with them. Okay. All right. Enough of that commercial business stuff. Let's get on with the show. I'm excited to uh, bring on to the show today Mike Kruger. He's from um, COSA, which is Colorado um, Solar and Storage Association. And uh, Mike, welcome to the program today. Hey, thanks for having me, Rex. It's a real honor to be on, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about what the team is doing to ensure that there's more solar on the grid uh, tomorrow than there is today, and there's more batteries interconnected uh, the day after that. So very, very pleased to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting world. There, um, I come out of tech, spent three and a half decades in hardware, software, consulting, and stuff. And the thing I loved about tech is it's always the innovation cycles are just crazy bit fast. You know, things are going in and out. And well, what's happening in, I believe, in our world right now with solar and renewable energy and all this stuff, the innovation cycles are going bananas. It is absolutely on fire. And so it's hard for people to keep up. And unless you're some geek like me who spends all his time looking at this stuff. So I'm excited to talk about that. So, but before we get started, let's look at the human side of things, the people behind the power. Let, tell me a little bit more about Mike. I mean, where'd you grow up? Uh, a little bit of education, maybe some career hops along the way. You know, what do you like to do when you're not uh, changing the world with solar? So uh, let's start back the beginning. Now, we don't have to go all the way back to I was born, you know, on this day. But uh, where'd you grow up? And let's go from there. That's a fine question. My dad climbed the corporate ladder. So in my first 18 years of life, I lived, I was born in Nebraska, go Big Red. Uh, but then lived in Boston and St. Louis, uh, and then I was in Seattle for kind of high school. Uh, I moved up to uh, a small town almost on the Canadian border there in Washington State to go to university where I met my wife. And uh, we came back and lived uh, not too far from her parents for a couple of years. That was enough. Uh, so I moved, uh, we moved to Italy for a year, and then we lived in London for four. Wow. Uh, moved back to the States, did 12 years in D.C. So that that feels like that was the longest place I've ever lived. Uh, okay. So that definitely feels like uh, a place that I've lived, but it doesn't feel like home. I moved out to Denver about five years ago to take this position. And uh, uh, we went camping at Grand Lake uh, one, I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Uh -huh. And uh, I woke up, fog on the lake, snow in the mountains. Uh -huh. I was like, this is home. 
Like yeah. it took me 42 years to find home, but this is home. So yeah. I suspect that uh, hopefully many, 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 many years in the future, there'll be a headstone with my name on it here in, in Colorado. Um, I just love it here. And, and yeah. we've, we've definitely found this to be home. But through all those travels, it's been amazing to see a lot of the world and be fascinating people and to really get an understanding of that. Well, you know, I, I, not I, have to like you. I have to interview, I'll interrupt you for a second because my family's from Nebraska originally. Now I'm a Colorado native, but my family, so what part my family's from Valentine. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're on the Western side. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was born in broken bow, okay. but all, a lot of my cousins, uh, my grandparents, uh, who are all uh, deceased at this point. They're all from sort of North Central, okay. uh, sort of Grand Island, yep. all the way up to Holt County uh, on the on the same, uh, South Dakota border. So uh, I only at this point, I used to go back for weddings. Now, unfortunately, it's funerals. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we go back probably once every couple of years. And and every Saturday, I don my red jersey and my Cornhusker hat and cheer on the football team. You know, well, half the time we win, half the time we lose. So... Well, I'm I'm right there with you. I follow the Huskers. I also follow Colorado. I'm a weird guy. I got uh, uh, education in both places. And then, uh, you know, my family goes back clear back to homesteading days in Nebraska. We actually have a family cemetery clear up there. But again, it's like that. My family's mostly in the funeral stages, too. So I get it. Anyway, so sorry for our Nebraska uh, twitch there for a minute going down memory lane. So um, along the, your career and all those stops and places you went, what types of jobs did you do? Yeah, if you look at my resume, uh, I have no business running a solar association. <laughs> and uh, I got a degree, a history degree to teach middle school. Uh, oh, wow. And then I did that. And that's sort of what took me uh, back to Seattle and overseas. I was lucky enough to do that. Taught for a couple of years back in Washington, D.C., but then I jumped into politics and I was doing uh, digital communications uh, around the time of the Obama administration where, you know, Facebook was new and YouTube was hip and, you know, just a, a different world. Right. Um, uh, so I jumped into communications and I did that. I was doing the politics thing for a while. Uh, and then towards the end of the Obama administration where I was, uh, where I was serving the Secretary of Commerce, over mm -hmm. the Commerce Department, my wife very kindly but very forcefully said hey we have a kid now we had our first son and uh and this idea that every two or four years the entire nation votes on whether you have a job or not is really not conducive you need no, to figure out what you're doing next not at all um so that was about 2014 so it gave me a couple of years to figure out what i was doing next and i had the absolute pleasure of of having some of the smartest people in the world available to me so I called up our chief economist of the Department of Commerce and said, "Hey, uh, my wife thinks that this, uh, you know, politics game isn't isn't for the stability we need for our family. You know, we were already contemplating a, a second at that point. And so, what should I do when I grow up?" And and he said, "Well, what do you, like what do you want to do?" I was like, "Well, I'd like to make some money and I'd like to feel good about myself." So I said, "All right, well, you should do robotics." And I was like, "Well, that which we would kind of like would have morphed into AI at this point, right?" Right. 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 And I'm like, I, I'm not smart enough for that. Like, I don't have a clue what I'd be doing with it. So next, and he's like, well, you could do healthcare. There's a lot of aging population. There's going to be a lot of money. You can heal people. My father spent a lot of time in health insurance. And so I knew maybe more than I needed to know about that. I was like, okay, nope, that's not going to work for me. Uh, next. And he's like, well, you got renewable energy. That's that's it. That's my three yeah. options for you. So I said, I guess I'm doing renewable energy. So I spent a couple of years uh, reading Utility Dive and Green Tech Media back in the day and and really kind of trying to follow along with what was happening uh, right after the 
kind of the Aura had kickstarted, uh, I think, especially on the solar side, mm-hmm. broader deployment. Uh, I left the I left politics in 2016, just before the election, and went to work for the uh, Smart Electric Power Alliance, known as SEPA, yeah. as their communications director. And we had a very funny conversation. I said in my interview, I said I don't really know a ton about <laughs> electricity and energy, but I know a ton about communications. And and my my boss said, well, that's fine. I know a ton about energy and electricity, and I don't know anything about communications. So sounds like. We're going to be good a good fit. team, and yeah. uh, and I, I'm very very thankful that that he hired me, and we, he continues to be a really close friend of mine and mentor. Uh, but I got frustrated there. That is a trade association, not even trade association. They're a membership association uh, that kind of has works with a lot of utilities. Was not moving fast enough to address climate change, which is a, right. a increasing passion of mine. You know, it was it was increasingly a passion of mine. Continues to be an all consuming passion at this point. Um, and so when the position at what was formerly known as COSIA, it was uh, Colorado Solar uh, Energy Industry Association, came open to, to run the organization in late 2018, um, I I said, yeah, I think uh, I'm done with the DC game. I think we need to move faster on climate change. And I don't think I can save the world from DC. So what if no. I go to Colorado and you know help save Colorado? That's the best I think I can do. And uh, I took this position just yeah, five-ish years ago. Have been so happy. Yeah. Uh, the job has changed and morphed every year that I've been in charge. But uh, it is great to work with a team, both on the co- – you know, we added storage as part of our technology represents, so it changed our name to COSA. Uh, the five folks that join me every day are just a joy to work with. And then our membership. I got three, almost 300 companies, 10,000 individuals in Colorado – that are, you know, making the world a better place. They're making a little money too, but they're making the world a better place uh, every day. And uh, that's what keeps me going. That's really how I ended up here. And probably I'll be here for a while. I, I don't I don't imagine myself leaving until Colorado is decarbonized. And then then when we solve that problem, we'll go on to the next yeah. one. Maybe, maybe water or clean air or what, I don't know. Well, as a Colorado native, I got to have you s- slow down on how wonderful Colorado is here because we we got a lot of people here now. I mean, there I've lived in seven different states, uh, including Colorado. Came home to reclaim my res uh, my um, native status, but uh, you know it is a beautiful place and it's a great environment because so much is happening here in Colorado. We have an administration that's very favorable and trying to keep renewables going and foster and grow those. So it's a great place to be. And heck, you know, where else can you uh, hike uh, 54 mountains and over uh, 14,000 feet, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, You know, for everybody listening, Colorado's wonderful. You should definitely come visit. Whether you want to live here or not, that's a different conversation. But, yeah, uh... don't live here. Just come and visit. <laughs> leave your money behind. That'd be great. No, I I welcome. It's a beautiful place, but it's not the Colorado I grew up in just because the traffic's a little crazier now to get into the hills. But other than that, you know, it's just hard to beat. Four seasons. Except, oh, I better stop. I'm going to be. The Colorado Tourism Office is going to be calling me pretty soon and telling me to stop. Anyway, all right. So um, tell me a little bit more about the history of COSA because it's it's been in different iterations, as you just sort of mentioned. Give us a quick, you know, because most people probably have never heard of the organization. And then once you've got the history... Tell me a little bit more about and share with our listeners about your mission, and, and then we'll get into some of the things you're working on. Yeah. Um, the organization started in 1989, back when solar made 
limited to no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding, and this is probably pretty apocryphal, but it was a, a couple of folks who were growing a medicinal herb uh, in their home. <laughs> it's legal <And> now. <laughs> it's legal now. Yes. I don't want to, I don't implicate anyone, but That's uh, right. yes, Co- Colorado did legalize it eventually. Yeah. Uh, and one of the telltale signs is that you are using a lot of power uh, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the apocryphal story goes, they got together in Boulder because of course, yeah. um, uh, at a pizzeria and said, you know, we should probably think about making this a little bit more organized, a little bit more professional um, so that we can get access to panels and some of the stuff we need to make the solar work. And that's how it started. And it was very small for many, many years, as one could imagine, because solar didn't yeah. make any sense. Didn't make sense. Uh, the organization grew over time. Um, and, you know, I think really came to prominence after some of the, the local policies that were passed here, including a, a very strong net metering statute, a renewable yeah. energy standard, uh, increased pressure by the environmental community to adopt more renewables as a way to uh, combat climate change. Uh, to the point now where we passed some very big laws in 2019. So I, I happened to just catch a tailwind as running an organization. When I got here, there's about 83 members, 85 members. We weren't totally sure. Right. Um, but then we passed a bunch of laws in 2019, 2021, um, and 2022, for that matter, that continue to push Colorado towards a decarbonized economy. So not right. just the electric power sector, but the entire economy. And so what that has meant is that... Um, Solar is increasingly important at both the rooftop and distributed level, also all the way up to the large scale. As we're, yes. you know, closing coal plants, you got to be replacing uh, the, that capacity by all at once. You can't do it five kW at a time because that's sure. uh, problematic for the grid. Right. Uh, and so, you know, and storage continues to be uh, said by everybody who knows anything about electricity and renewables. We need more storage. We need more storage. However. Uh, it has been really tough to make happen in Colorado uh, for for multiple reasons, but um, it's probably one of the key places of our advocacy right now as we are trying to create more of a market, a durable market for storage. Um, solar is is pretty well set in the direction, mm-hmm. although it, interest rates are killing us right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But directionally, we know that something like a gigawatt of renewable energy has to get installed every year through the 2020s for us to meet our clean energy goals and actually may ramp to two gigawatts in the first five years of the 2030s. Right. Now that's wind and solar and potentially some geothermal and some other stuff. But but truth be told, it's going to be a lot of solar, a lot of solar. And that'll, again, will be done 5 kW at a time and 500 megawatts at a time, depending on... Um, you know who's procuring it and, and what their time frame is those rooftop systems go up quickly and yep. you know they add up over time the large-scale systems take years and years and years but when yes. they come online you know they bring a lot of power so yeah. and we need it all and that's yeah. that's the that's the situation we're in now and and um I, you know i mentioned that this job changes every year and it's very interesting um we used to spend a lot of our time energy at the capital right and uh and to get get decarbonization, you know, bills passed and to get pro solar bills passed. Now we found while we continue to, to push and work there, now we found that most of our work is, is increasingly local uh, right. because you can have the best federal policies, you can have the best state policies, but if the local community is not open to hosting solar facilities, whether mm-hmm. that's the HOA who doesn't want to look at them yeah. or, 
you know, it's a rural community who doesn't want to look at all this glass and steel. And, right. you know, uh, I had somebody tell me, it looks like a skyscraper fell over in that field. It's so ugly. I didn't move out here for this. <laughs> no, I mean, I can relate. I mean, I, I don't sure. I don't agree with his characterization, but it certainly it doesn't look like wheat. Right. Right. Exactly. So. So what we found at, uh, at COSA is that increasingly our conversations are going going very, very local. They're a permitting office, mm -hmm. you know, in Arapahoe County, or they're a planner in Kit Carson, or they're a county commission, uh, you know, in La Plata County, for example. Those are the places where increasingly we're engaging and when why a state-level trade association, you know, makes sense for folks doing work in the state. Because there's there's a national trade association and they do amazing work. Yes. A couple of them. Um, but at the state level, you know, what we, what we're really advocating for now is much of this very local, um, problem solving so that solar can get installed so that customers can get what they want. Um, and the local communities can understand what's happening, have some, uh, control over how that happens, either the speed or, you know, the, what happens when those, when those projects get built, mm -hmm. um, I'm a little less sympathetic for HOAs, I'll be honest, but, uh, uh but for <laughs> Don't but get me started. Yeah, I purposely else. picked my current home based on horrible experiences with an HOA. So uh, no, I don't want to go there. But no, yeah. I'm not, so I don't I, care about those guys. So we we tend to fight them more than yep. uh, more than befriend them, and that's you know that's a little different than some of these other projects where we're doing like a community solar project, a twenty five acre project that has um, you know we're trying to make sure that the local community will be accepting because that project is going to be there for 20 or maybe even 40 years. Right. Exactly. So that's increasingly what we're doing. And um, it's both makes me want to pull my hair out and extremely uh, fun when, when we get an end result that works for everybody. You know, I had to chuckle when you were talking about the, the person out in the rural area, I think it was talked about what looked like a building fell over, you know, kinds of stuff. And, my grandfather used to always say when we would complain about the smell of cattle manure, son, that's just the smell of money. So <laughs> I might come back and say to that person, son, those panels is just the smell or the just the visual of money laying right there. But uh, yeah. maybe, maybe wouldn't buy that. I doubt it. So anyway. OK, well, that's that's great. So that's an interesting um, observation that you have. And what's happened is to go from almost a centralized policy chasing and, and lobbying, if you will, to more now distributed. You know, Colorado has what, uh, 70 counties or something, 80 counties? I forget the number. I believe we have 64, 66. 60, yeah. 64, 66. I, I, never, yep. I always know Nebraska's number, but that's because my grandfather was a nut about that. But uh, yes, we got so many counties. And so are you having to, you know, play the barnstorming guy around and in your state, you're kind of, staff from all around the, the state to hit these folks? So yes and no. Um, you know, the geography of the state is such that solar makes a lot of sense in some mm -hmm. places mm -hmm. and doesn't make a whole lot of sense in others. Right. Uh, you know, I, we don't see a whole lot of solar in Grand County, for example, right, where Rocky Mountain National Park is. Yeah. Between the mountains and the park and the Forest Service land, you know, you're sometimes seeing some rooftop systems, but you're not seeing a whole lot. Right. Uh, on the flip side, Weld County uh, or Pueblo County, which both have uh, large, flat, very sunny land and great interconnection to the transmission grid. They have a lot of uh, interest and we, we are spending uh, quite a bit of time there. So yes and no. Do I visit all 64 counties, talk about solar? No. Do I visit 25 or 30? 
Um, or have I at least connected with those decision makers via Zoom? Probably. Yeah. That's probably, uh, uh, you know, really. And and I'm, I never know. Someone called me this morning. They have a, a project in the county, which we have not yet engaged with. And so, um, you know, I'm going to need to get smart on that. Now, what COSA has done is we've partnered with, with several of the local uh, kind of economic development organizations, sometimes the environmental organizations, sometimes the community college. So for this county, which is a pretty geographically a pretty small county, I have some friends I can call and say, okay, we've got some interest in building out there. Who do we need to talk to? Who are the, you know, how do we do that? So we don't start from scratch, but we do start from, hey, we're from Denver, which, right. you know, is not a great way to start yeah. uh, in rural in rural Colorado. We're here from Denver and we want to talk about solar. And uh, and so we, we start a couple steps back. But what the solar industry, I think, and we were talking about this before we started recording, as it matures, as it gets smarter and better, is that those relationships matter. That yes. The industry, I, on behalf of the industry, I need to go make those relationships. I need to be a man of my word. I need to only tell the truth. I need to stand behind whatever I say. And the membership as well, the, the developers who are going to do that work, the rooftop installers and sales folks are going to do their work. Because there's nothing, honestly, there's nothing worse than when I or, or another solar company has to kind of solve for the previous bad behavior. Yes, right? yeah. Whether well, and, and we're starting action. to see across the nation, sorry, uh, eruption. We're starting to see across the nation where states are starting to put a little more regulation on uh, the solar industry from the sales perspective. Uh, Nevada will no longer allow people to sell solar as a 1099. You have to be an employee. So I saw that. Uh, yeah, there's good. I think that's good. And, it, and you know what you see in that is um, there's always consolidation in any type of technology and there's always a normalizing of things. You know, it's great to have the Wild West in some aspects because you get a lot of uh, free thinkers out there. But I think it's a good policy. We're starting to see that I'm against regulation in most cases for for business. It, it, it usually causes restraint and adds um, expense. But I'm glad to see some of those things changing and maturing you know yeah yeah and there are enough horror stories i was talking with some folks about the nevada bill and, and there was some pretty egregious behavior uh <laughs> that that you know no one should put up with and the industry couldn't stand behind and and while we've never seen it to the level uh that, that nevada did i have some you know utilities call me and, and i have some pretty bad stories that i've heard yeah. of folks that have really taken advantage of primarily homeowners um, who didn't know what they were doing, mm -hmm. um, high pressure tactics, uh, you know, lie, straight up lies about, you know, you'll never get a bill again to everyone listening. Yeah. As long as you're connected to the grid, you will you get a bill. Get a bill. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm hoping that the industry in Colorado can look around and go, man, that, the, the onus that that other states and the regulation they put on them in, in California they dictate the font size of your, of your contract right? I mean they yeah. don't mess around right yeah. I'm hoping that our industry can look around and say no 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 we don't we don't need to sell solar through chicanery and no. through you know uh, smoke and mirrors it's a great value proposition as it is let's be honest about it let's share share how good it is let's talk about it as, you know the cost let's talk about that you will still get a bill but that we won't uh, ultimately have to be regulated and and to the point that Nevada has done so or California or some, yeah. you know, a dozen other states have done. Um, but it's really on us as an industry it to is. say, that's not okay. Uh, if we see 
poor sales behavior, if we see poor installation behavior, if you're a larger uh, developer and you're seeing other developers that are making promises that you know they can't keep, you know we have to call those folks out as an industry and, and do so. And and I sometimes get called, but I'll be honest, the folks who join the trade association and sign our ethics pledge, do it. Yeah, and they're so the good I, guys. Yeah, and so it's I not the ones calls. that need coaching. <laughs> exactly, I get phone calls about this company that doesn't do anything. I'm like, I've never heard of them. I've never don't, heard of them. Yeah, you know, I've never there, heard of there's them. way too many two boys, a dog, and a ladder guys out there, and um, it's a it can be precarious for the homeowners. And I, you know, I think the biggest issue, and I want to ask you about this, is it's just education. You know, if people, it, it's interesting when you sit down with somebody and you give them all the facts about you know rooftop solar and this stuff. In so many circumstances, it makes so much sense that the, the customer says, well, why doesn't everyone do it? Well, the reason why everyone doesn't do, do it is because they don't have the information, they have preconceived notions and things like that. So that's going to transition me into a question for you is, um, how much outreach is uh, COSA doing to the public? Okay. I mean, I, there's, I understand the role 100% as an association for policy driven and industry issues and stuff but are you doing much out to the public um will we start to see a lot more of that coming up so that is a such an interesting point because i think i get asked this probably once a year by my board why aren't we doing more for the public right yeah uh and there's probably two reasons first is we are a trade association so we are really business to business focused and we yep. provide policy and politics um for those companies so they can stay focused on the customers and getting that solar and storage installed. Right. The second is that costs money. Yes. And so when I, when I go to raise money uh, from companies, right. Uh, they say, well, sure. You can have money to do drive time radio or Facebook ads or, you know, rent a billboard or, or whatever, but you're going to mention my thing, right? You're, <laughs> yep. Exactly. You're, you're going to educate a homeowner on how great, uh, rooftop solar is right and i said well maybe and they were like well then maybe i'll pay you and then my community solar guys say well we'll give you money but you only if you tell them like how great community solar is and my <laughs> large-scale guys say you're only you're going to talk about how great solar is for for rural colorado or how great these right. large-scale projects are right and so i end up with a tragedy of the commons where yeah. everybody agrees if i if i polled all of my members all of them would say yes. We need to do more public outreach for mm -hmm. for uh, Coloradans around solar and storage. So that's a hundred percent agreement. Then I say, pay me or give me some money so I can do that. Right. And it gets into a very you know I'm only gonna spend money to support my thing because why am I spending money my money to support my competitor? Exactly. Right. So so the answer is other than free earned media where COSA and we have a really great communications director Mac on our team who is ensuring that we're trying to get in front of the media all the time. Mm -hmm. um, other than, than that free media and earned media, we are not paying for anything right sure. now. Um, which again, I would love to see because like, I'm a huge Rockies fan. Mm -hmm. I love baseball. Not that the Rockies are competitive, but I love baseball. And I think it's every third inning, the it's like the Coloradans for responsible entertainment yes. always runs an act. And that's an oil and gas uh, uh front group yep. that has managed to get money from oil and gas folks to run those ads. And they aren't saying by Oxy and by Exxon or right. They're just <laughs> saying broadly the group, uh, you know, the industry is good for Colorado and, and with dismay every third inning, sometimes because of the score, but always because of this ad, I think, man, I should be doing, it. and I just have been very unsuccessful in convincing my membership that they 
that that's how we need to go. So should we do it? Absolutely. Everybody agrees we should. Sure. Should we, you know, can we do it? I, I can continue to struggle, except again, like when the Denver Post asks us for it or the local Fox affiliate um, I was on not too long ago in Colorado Springs. Like those are great opportunities for us to educate the public. I was on CPR. Um, but I think an ongoing sustained public affairs campaign, which I would love to run, mm -hmm. is has been so far, and I'm not giving up on it, but through five years of, of running COSA, uh, has been out outside my reach, just barely outside my reach. So well, we'll talk. We got some things in the works that have some tricks up the sleeve right now. I'm working with the Colorado Energy Office and their community outreach things and stuff. So, but no, it's it's important. I think that's one of the biggest struggles, largely in the industry, because there's so much. I don't like the terms misinformation or disinformation. It's just lack of knowledge, okay? And in order to help us impact policy, now this is my soapbox, okay? Um, in order for us to impact policy, people need to know what's going on because then they can give a voice, you know? Our, our good friend Eric Blank down at the uh, PUC, they need to hear a lot of this stuff. Because they they get the bug in their ear a lot from the you know the traditional uh, utility industry, and so it's kind of a catch twenty two. How do you get the education out there? Then they can help drive policy, and so it's it's kind of a vicious circle. So glad to see you you struggle with it too. No, I'm not glad, but I'm just saying it it is an obvious uh, issue in the marketplace. Correct. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what you guys are focusing on right now as an organization. What are your top priorities? So as we go into uh, 2024, you know, we are about a month into the legislative session. And as such, uh, we, we're really focused there. There's obviously, of course, the regulatory work that we need to do. Uh, but we're, we're focused on a couple of things. The first is, um, and this is very Excel Energy specific. So they're the largest utility in the state, the largest investor-owned utility in the state. Um, their grid that they've built over 100 plus years that they've had the monopoly mm -hmm. status um, is not built for two-way electron flows. It is not built for electrification um, and it is not built for distributed generation. So we're working on a bill in conjunction with them and multiple other stakeholders, including um, some of the environmental groups like NRDC and the Colorado Energy Office on, can we come up with a smart uh, plan to upgrade the distribution system so that folks are able to charge, you know, get an EV charger or put solar on the roof, businesses in downtown Denver, which are under a mandate to decarbonize, can electrify some of their load. They can put solar on the roof if they can fit it, not all can. Because right now what happens is it's a very piecemeal. So maybe Rex, you and I are neighbors uh, and you go and you put solar on your roof and I, I see you at the next barbecue and I go, man, that's great. And you go, man, this is phenomenal. I'm saving 70 bucks a month, you know, and yep. have this thing paid off in about 10 years. And this is really my you know, long-term hedge against uh, inflation on energy. And I go, dang, that's great. You tell me who you use. And I call them up and they come out to my house. And they say, yeah, we'll do you just like we did Rex. We'll take care of you. This is going to work. And they go to Excel and they add an interconnection request. And Excel goes, oh, that transformer uh, in your neighborhood is full. Rex got the last spot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Mike, you can have solar on your roof too, but you get to buy us, Excel, a multi-billion dollar monopoly company, a transformer for $7,000. And I say, well, what? $7,000? What? And they say, yeah, yeah, you're next in line. So you got to yeah. pay $7,000. So guess what happens, Rex? I don't put solar on the roof, right? Yeah. Especially when I find out that once I buy the transformer, they're going to upgrade it. The next three guys 
you know, next three neighbors you see at the barbecue and you sell them on solar, they get in for free, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm the nicest guy in the neighborhood. I just bought everybody a transformer. It's now what happens. And no. we've seen this over and over and over and over again, where communities have uh, kind of reached a penetration level where then the next straw that breaks the camel's back becomes uh, an impediment to increasing rooftop solar. And as we've electrified some of the loads, like I mentioned, downtown Denver, real real emphasis to push away from natural gas as your uh, heating source to electrification, that's causing increased strains on the grids, excels hitting business owners with upgrade costs. So we said, look, enough of that. You're, you're never going to reach the climate goals that we have to reach so that we can continue to ski here in Colorado, because exactly. obviously. Um, so we need a we need a smart bill that's going to get Excel to do a distribution uh, system plan where they look at all the things, the million EVs we want to have, the 30% decarbonization that we want to have for buildings, you know, hundreds of thousands of new rooftop solar systems and, and comes up with a with a plan to to address all that and then to how do you pay for that in a in a fair and equitable way. One of my key points on this is that lower income communities in across the nation, but certainly within the Excel service territory. Guess what? They use less power. Yeah. It is not. It is not that they don't want a big screen TV or they don't want to have, you know, the things that that folks in the middle class or plus have. It's just that they have to worry about their bill in a way that folks like me don't. Right. Right. And so when the system, when the when the distribution system, when the poles, physical poles and wires and transformers were built, the planners looked and said these communities don't use as much power. Therefore, we don't have to give them as big a poles, wires, and transformers. Right. Because that's the prudent thing to do because they don't need it. We, we shouldn't overbuild the system, right? That was the thinking in the 70s and 80s. Well, fast forward to the 2020s and those communities, they would, they'd they like to use heat pumps, which are more efficient and cheaper yep. and better. They want to use, uh, you know, electric vehicles, which, you know, have less maintenance and lower costs and, and predictable rates for what, what's going to cost. And because they have small smaller poles and wires and transformers, they get hit with the upgrade cost almost immediately. Right. There's not even it's not even like Rex gets to get in. It's the first guy in is, is hit. So we have an amazingly inequitable distribution system. Uh and and that's not being addressed in any way. And so if we don't address it, if we don't address it this this legislative session, all we're gonna have is increasing the haves and have nots, an increasing right. divide. And that's not acceptable. No. Right. So we're working on that. Uh we also know that there's a concern around land use and the large scale projects. These are the projects that are eight. That, you know, eight hundred to a thousand acres. They're big projects. Yeah, they they have clear impacts on wildlife, on communities, and there's a a group of folks that are coming together to try to figure out how do we come up with um, some sensible regulation around that. Right now, every county does it differently, mm-hmm. and some some counties are very restrictive. Some counties are very open. Some counties are very restrictive about some things and very open about other things. So, is there a minimum uh, kind of minimum floor or, or potentially even a ceiling that a county could uh, implement to ensure that solar gets built. Right. You're not saying no to solar and you're not trampling over, you know, a, a farmer or rancher's private uh, right to their, to their, to do with their private land as they wish. At the same time, you're taking into account what the community is concerned about, whether that's going to be the decommissioning and the cleaning up of the, of the system in 20 years, or whether it's the construction, you know, in, in just in a few months time when, when it commences. Um, all of those things are are being um, right now being debated and discussed. And so I think we'll be very involved in that conversation. And those are the two big things we're doing at the at the, um, at the legislature this year. We're, of course, keeping an eye out. There's always something. Um, yes. 
And so whether that's a good thing or a bad thing often depends, but there's always something. And so we're, we're pretty involved in, in that. And then on the regulatory side, there's, there's too much to name, honestly, yeah. but we have everything from, uh, you know, a, f- a future net metering conversation that the governor's office will be leading all the way through to an expected, you know, several gigawatts of, of new procurement from Excel and Tri-State this, this year. Um, so yeah, it's, it kind of runs the gamut there. I, I literally have a general counsel and a director of policy on our team and th- <laughs> those women full time, that's all full-time. they do full time. Yeah. Um, but we do that so that the membership doesn't have to also have a director of policy and a general exactly. counsel to track all this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, had do you seen that trend that's, that's really starting to grow on the East coast about, uh, land use, the using, um, retired landfills now out in New Jersey. I just saw an article on this recently and I'm meaning to jump out. I reached out to the folks that are one of the leading contractors in that. And I find that interesting because gosh, I've got, I've got land. I've already kind of destroyed. Nobody wants to live next to it anyway. It's all yeah. mounted up and you have some of the electrical infrastructure to get it there because they needed power to uh, manage the office while they were filling the, the land. Right. And, and running some of the machinery. Yeah. It's, brilliant from a policy perspective it's yeah. absolutely brilliant from a dollars and cents perspective it doesn't make any sense okay. that's the problem right. uh and so one of the things that i definitely would like to see in the in the land use bill should it come forward is some sensible policy around brownfields yeah um because specifically things like landfills you're literally never going to put anything on there because you can't you can't penetrate the surface right you so, can't build on it you can't build on it. The only thing you can do with the best and, and highest use of that land is a ballasted solar system. So that's a solar system that, again, doesn't penetrate the earth. You put heavy sandbags primarily on the racks, and uh, and then you can collect solar off the top or the sun off the top, but you don't you don't endanger the environment by penetrating the, the cap. However, right now, if I were to compare a green field, so that's your standard rancher's field, plus sure. uh, and a, and a, a retired landfill, the amount of work I need to do to get permitted and approved on the landfill is considerably more, millions of dollars more exactly. than if I'm just on the ranger's field. Yep. So, you know, you're a businessman, Rex. Yeah. There's a set number of dollars and cents you're going to get from selling your solar. Yeah. Uh, you've got investors who need to get their money back. You'd like to make a, a profit so you can eat. And if you have the option of this or this, and one of them is a million dollars more than the other, you, you know, you, you make a logical choice to go with the, the least cost option. So right. what we have to do, and I think we can do this through regulation is or through legislation, is to remove some of those barriers that would be required um, to, to take brownfields, take, uh, you know, kind of discarded land, maybe a broader term, mm-hmm. um, and, and put that to higher and better use, because that is... Again, one of those things everybody agrees to, and then when we get into the details, it gets yeah. much, much trickier. The devil but, in the details, big yeah. time. But there is more than enough. Um, uh, th- th- there's more than enough places in Colorado where we could do that to really power the state. Not everything, not all of it. We, sure. We're still going to need greenfield. But um, you know, there's a really good example is uh, Excel Energy was recently told um, that they couldn't buy as much solar and wind as they wanted because they were going to have to build billions of dollars of new transmission. And the commission. Eric Blank uh, himself said, "You got to find stuff closer to Denver. Yes, you can't. You can't be building it on the Kansas border and bringing it in and building all this new transmission. You got to find stuff closer to Denver where the load is, where everybody's using the power. And you know, Denver is ringed with all kinds of kind of discarded land or or 
or land that is, is brownfield in some way or another where, you know, you, you're never going to have a thousand acres, uh, yeah. but you might have 10 or 20. And now you got a nice little community solar facility. Um, but but there's no right now, the dollars and cents don't make it don't add up. Yeah. And what's what's a little tragic, I think, in our world today, from a general consumer perspective, energy has become so politicized and then there there's so much slant that's thrown out there on you know one direction or another over estimations of things and underestimation of things and it's it's more complex than most people understand it really is when you start to think about it like oh gosh what if all that wasted space on a, the uh areas along the highways you know where we're having big turn you know wide turns and stuff well okay but how do you get the infrastructure there so yeah it's it's never easy and it's interesting to, for for people to be able to understand that it it's and it's not exactly sexy uh youtube watching or things like that it's not on netflix for sure or something like that i, I don't think we're gonna binge watch that no. no there won't be the uh there won't be the mike kruger uh, you know, series of people watching for, you know, a whole weekend, uh, tell them about that and stuff like that. No, so, which yeah. is, uh, which is, makes me pretty boring. I, I didn't know I loved energy and specifically electricity as much as I did till I was 40 plus years old. So if you're less than that and you're listening, know that you don't need to know what you're going to do when you grow up until way later in life. And that's fine. Uh, but it makes me really boring at dinner parties my wife's like you're so uninteresting <laughs> i talk about baseball and solar and like if you don't want to talk about those things i'm then we're talking about the weather well i'll i'll give her credit on the baseball uh, i've never been much of a baseball guy i'm more a football guy my my son-in-law is the biggest rockies fan in the world i'm like until they sell a team you're just in for misery you know knock it off <laughs> knock it off but i love the game i don't oh, expect yes. to win yeah yeah it's, so. you get to see a lot of good teams from out of town so um anyway yeah. Um, some, some questions hopping scotching over there a little bit. Um, I do a lot of research on this right now on, um, what's happening in the EV market for storage. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and, and there's some really cool trends happening there. Uh, I pay attention to it. I'm a weirdo. I mean, you know, my wife would say the same things with all the bi-directional charge and because hmm. essentially now when it finally comes online correctly, because there are five different types of bi-directional vehicles. There's nine available models right now, but the Ford F-150, and I'm not plugging a thing for Ford, no one's paying me this, it's the most advanced on bi-directional because essentially it, you can plug it in, charge it, and then you can run your house from it. Well, it has amazing capacity because they're, they're running mm -hmm. around, and this is where probably the most residential or retail um, research is being done. Is to move a heavy object hundreds of miles, right? Right. Well, that F one hundred and fifty has a hundred and thirty one kilowatt battery. Well, typical. That's big. It's a big battery, and when you think of my little Tesla wall that might cost me fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, depending, and it has thirteen kilowatts. Wow, I'm driving around a big battery. So, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in storage. As now, most of the EV manufacturers have committed to bi-directional, full bi-directional charge and over the next three to five years. Tesla has said 2026. GM is saying by 28. But essentially, they're going to go that way because it makes sense as a consumer. But it's like almost everything you talk about in this industry. The first word out of your mouth when someone asks you a question is depends. And so, uh, well, that depends. Yes. 
Um, but I think it's interesting that's going to happen because, you know, one of the things that's interesting about retail, so what I call retail solar, so residential and, and small business, is there isn't, because of good net metering policies here in Colorado, there isn't as much adoption of, of you know, individualized or, you know, retail storage as much as it could be because the economics aren't there. It's kind of like the other things we talked about. But now if you can, you can buy your your uh, EV and it's a battery, well, now I have lots and lots of storage that's available out there, except it's storage for the individual. It's not storage that's contributing to the grid, which right. most people are thinking about in the traditional sense. So um, have you have you studied that at all? Or are you guys keeping an eye on that? We, oh, we most definitely are. Um, one of the challenges, as you mentioned, Rex, is that Buying a battery in most parts of the state, buying a battery and sticking it on your garage wall or sticking it, you know, in a closet makes zero economic sense no, unless you have a lot of outages. Right. Then, you know, then it works because your freezer doesn't, you know, your, your food doesn't spoil in your freezer. But if you're like most of us, you, you're pretty blessed with with a pretty reliable grid. It doesn't make any sense to do that. So we have a hard time, you know, uh, selling solar or storage with solar. Uh, we have pretty low what are called attachment rates. And yep. we are definitely looking... Um, at trying to understand how can things like EVs, which have bi-directional charge, contribute to like a what's called a virtual power plant. Right. So uh, the commission has just ordered Excel to begin to put into place the software they need and the program design they need for a virtual power plant. So for those folks who are listening and don't know what it is, we have traditional power plants. Many of them are what's called peaker plants. These are gas plants that sit idle 22 hours a day, 20 hours a day. Uh, but three, for two or four hours a day, when we need the most electricity, they fire up, they burn uh, natural gas, they boil water, much like you would for your pasta, yep. and generate steam and generate electricity through turbines. The hope is that uh, batteries, whether they're going to be four-wheel drive F-150s or whether they're going to be uh, stationary batteries like the Powerwall, if you put enough of them together, I don't even have to run that that gas plant anymore right, right. Um, and so we we suspect we being the solar and storage industry suspect that virtual power plants at least in colorado in the short term are going to be the way to unlock that mm -hmm. um we at this point all we have is an order from the commissioners telling excel to kind of go put into place what is necessary so we're not even there yet but i absolutely think that there is a a very near future especially as these bi-directional um, uh, you know, capabilities come online where homeowners will absolutely sign up for a virtual power plant. And, you know, you plug your, your Tesla or your Leaf or your F-150 in yep. um, at 6 p.m. And as the sun goes down and the solar that's being generated, uh, you know, stops being generated, but it's not yet uh, windy enough to kick up the wind, that uh, Excel will pay you to send power to the grid for a couple hours. It will drain your battery, yeah. but if you're home for the night, what do you care? Right. Because then what will happen is at 1 or 2 or 3 a.m. when the wind on the eastern plains is blowing, but no one's got their lights on, yeah. your battery will get, you know, bi-directional, your battery will get charged, and you'll wake up the next morning having done nothing besides yeah. plugged, your, plugged your EV in, and you're a couple more dollars richer, and you got a full battery to take on the next day. That's, yeah, it's, the, that's the future we envision. Yeah, I, I see the same thing because you get a situation with right now, I will share with the world, I have an F-150 showing up here in a very near future. 
So, you know, I just kind of like, I mean, I don't say that I'm off the grid because I'm not. I'm still connected to the grid. I back meter, um, you know, my excess back to Excel. But I could I wouldn't care if we had an outage for weeks because I can charge it during the day. I can run my house off of it at night. And then, you know what? I don't really drive more than about, oh, maybe 15 miles a day, if that. Many days I'm home working from home. So I can, I'm in a sustainable independence, I guess, would be a state of independence uh, with that situation. So it's um, I think it's an interesting frontier. And I think virtual power stations are going to be a big part of it. And then, you know, just the concept of your own you know, your own power plant at home, you know, as you, as we start to see a residential wind grow and, and, you know, all the things that are happening, the innovation cycles are, it's enough to make your head spin like a little turbine because uh, turbine, because it's just, there's so many things going on. All yeah. right. So peer into the future for me, for a minute, for me, if you could, what, what do you see that's biggest on the horizon for, for COSA? What, what are your biggest challenges that you think are coming up? Um, I think on the, Kind of there's challenges and opportunities, right? So yeah. I'll start with challenges. I think the challenges are going to be increasingly local concern about uh, solar in their community. And, and that's, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. We yeah. have gigawatts and gigawatts of new renewables that we need to install to meet our, our uh, climate change goals and, and, you know, adding greenhouse gases. So that's going to be increasingly, I think, uh, a challenge for us. I think there's also a, a challenge for those folks who do the smaller systems, the rooftop, the small businesses, um, the pressure on our current paradigm of net metering, where you get one-to-one -one yep. credit um, as you send it back to the grid. The pressure on that is going to only increase as we get more and more systems on the grid. I don't think we will see immediate change, but uh, if you look at other states that have much more solar than us, Hawaii, California, California, yeah. Exactly. Florida, They're, the utilities increasingly say this is an unfair and unjust policy. Well, so it's I think un it's is, unsustainable. I'm mean, Forget about it, the words an unfair and unjust. When you're dealing with a publicly traded company, it's it's unsustainable. Yeah. And they certainly would say that, right? If you took it to its logical conclusion of 100% penetration, there would be yeah. no money for the utility. That, that'll never happen. No. But nonetheless, I think those are my two challenges going forward is to... Uh, work with communities to make sure that they're comfortable hosting more mm -hmm. solar. Um, and they have to be proactive. If they're just reactive, it's, it's just goes poorly. And then I think on the net metering side is how how do we, if it is necessary to change, and I'm not totally convinced it is, but if it is necessary to change, how do we come up with an equitable solution yeah. that ensures we don't have massive job loss like has been seen in Nevada and Arizona California. They, they, and Utah and California have seen massive job loss which then slows down your energy transition, right? Yeah. We're also to a point where uh, solar is now getting to be to a lower cost where um, middle-income folks and kind of lower middle-income folks can start to think about adding it to their home. Like that's, yeah. it's it's long long been a bastion of upper middle class and, and, yep. and upper class folks. We're getting to a point now under this net metering uh, rules that folks who make, who don't make six figures can, can think about adding it to their home. If as we get to that point, you then wipe away the compensation mechanism, all you do is is you've dangled the ladder and then you pull the ladder away. Yeah. So we we have to figure out what does that look like, right? What does it look like for the homeowner in Aurora who has a nice middle class home, is worried about long term inflation, would like to hedge their energy bets, 
uh, maybe wants to do good for the grid or do good for the environment. Sure. And just as they get to the point of like, hey, I can afford this. We say, well, yeah, but now you can't. So I think those are my two challenges. There's some amazing opportunities on the other side, which is we are changing the economy from molecules to electrons. So as you look around, everything that's driven by a molecule, whether that's a truck or your home heating or an industrial process or the airplanes in the sky, although that's trickier, um, are all going to be driven by electrons. My membership we make electrons. That's yes, what we do. That's like right. fundamentally, that's what we do. So that's the market right. is only going to get bigger. It just right. is a question about whether my membership can see those opportunities and take advantage of them. Yeah. And to be the provider of those green electrons. Because if they're not, then a utility will probably step in. Uh, other technologies like a wind potentially could step in. And I love wind, to be clear, but you know, yeah. they're I don't represent wind. So right. I, I think. Those, those are the both the challenges and the opportunities, but it is a great time. It is a yeah. fabulous time to be in this sector and to be doing what we do because the opportunity to get up every day, you know, as, as the chief economist told me back in Department of Commerce, I can get up every day and know that I can make a little bit of money and I'm making the world a better place. And so yeah. that's what gets me out of bed every day. I think that's what gets the COSA team out of bed every day and uh, and why we're so excited to be doing what we're doing. Well, I'm right there with you after uh, three and a half decades of hardware, software, technology, all that kind of good stuff. This is just green technology. I mean, this is yeah. it's fascinating when you yeah. see the things that are coming online. Uh, I did an episode just a little bit ago on some portable uh, solar solutions. The panels weigh 11 pounds. You can zip tie them to your balcony. Wow. Yes. And those inside the meter, so you're not dealing with anything with Excel or whoever your right. utility Inside the meter, they can offset 60 to 70% of your consumption, driven by an app. So now that type of solar is available for a large percentage of the renters, short-term property owners, lower income. Yeah. It's it's so the innovation's just going crazy. So I, you know, I think there's some great opportunities and you know, together if we can continue to work as an industry, as our associations to help get that information out. I think it's it's going to continue to grow. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And I before we close, I got this one last question. And I I sort of, uh, so if people have listened to the long interviews, because they tend to be, because they're very fascinating interviews, you may have already got a tip on this, but I don't think you had an opportunity yet because we've been just added this in because I used to do this on my other podcast. So we've yeah. learned a lot about you today. You know, your passions, interests, your profession, all these good things. But there's there's always a bucket list item, things that people have and, you know, things we just want to check off. Right. Well, there's an opposite list and it rhymes with bucket and starts with an F. But, you know, I'm not going to say that it it's a list of things I never want to do. Right. Okay, You know, like me, I don't want to have a collection of pet spiders. It's in my bedroom. I don't think that's going to be something I'm ever going to have. So what might be on a Mike Kruger effort list something you don't ever want to do because it's going to tell us a little bit about you perhaps wow man that is uh i wish i listened to more podcasts to get noted on that um trying to think i suppose i never ever want to go on a cruise it just seems horrible it just (laughs) it just seems like you're stuck with a bunch of people you don't know in a potential petri dish of all kinds of 
you know, colds and flus. Yep. yep. Um, out at sea where I'm not in control. And that's a thing I care a lot about both personally and professionally. And uh, with a lot of food that I probably would eat and a lot of drink, I would probably drink. Yeah. And I, and I did that at the end of 23. I, 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 so now early 24 here, I am having to be much more uh, restrained. And so that would be, <laughs> you know, in addition to being in a place I wouldn't want to be, I would be tempted all the time. Yeah. So yeah, don't put okay. me on a cruise. Okay. Well, that's fair enough that I can see that. I can see that a hundred percent. Well, I do want to thank you for coming on. It's been a wonderful conversation. You've helped our listeners learn a lot more what's going on behind the scenes. I do want to get you back on occasionally to get some updates and see what's happening because you know you're inside the battle every day you're inside the tornado you know at the ground level watching all these things happen and you're impacting all of our lives here in the state of colorado because policy technology all those kinds of things it's going to impact all of us so i do thank you for coming on today well thank you so much it's been a real honor and pleasure and uh i'd be happy to have you know come back when you have me i don't want overkill and overstay my welcome but absolutely so thank you for having me today and uh, yeah. i look forward to talking to you soon all right thanks well listen folks it's been a, a great conversation today glad to have everybody with us don't forget to subscribe if you are watching on the video platforms and then also bookmarking it on the podcast platforms and uh, if you've got some great in feedback or uh, things to say about us always provide that we like that so until next time don't forget to tune in and look for your favorite episodes lots of great interviews coming up always got rants from from rex that energy guy giving you some sparks so until next time as i say all the time thanks and make it a great day